0: Welcome to Tips and Tales, Ski Racing Media's official podcast for the week of December 18th, 2019. I am your host, Sean Higgins, alongside Ski Racing's Mackenzie Moran. And if you enjoy listening to Tips and Tales, we kindly ask that you please rate and review the show on your preferred listening platform. Tips and Tales is available for listening for free on virtually all podcasting platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Plain and simple, rating and reviewing the show is the easiest and best way to get tips and tales in front of new people, expanding our audience, and helping expose more people to the sport we all know and love. On today's show, Mackenzie and I will be breaking down the recent World Cup action in Corcheval, Val and St. Moritz, as well as taking a brief look ahead to this weekend's racing with the women in Val d'Isere and uh, the men over in Val Gardena, Italy. After our discussion, Doug Lewis is back on the show this week to talk all things Val Gardena. Val Gardena is one of the most exciting stops on the men's tour and one that has quite a bit of history for the American downhillers, Doug included. It's a really great talk, so you'll definitely want to stick around for it. All right, so before we dive into the weekend's action, we have a quick little update for everybody on AJ Hurt's status. She took a very hard fall in Lake Louise, which you were actually up there to see, Mac. I was able to talk to her over the weekend in St. Moritz, and uh, diagnosis is actually pretty good, just some uh, minor ligament strains and a bone bruise in her knee. She actually got on snow um, the day after the races ended in St. Moritz. A little bit of pain still in the free skiing, but definitely, I would say, a best-case scenario, wouldn't you, Mac?
1: Yeah. I mean, when she fell, she fell forward, so it looked like her knees were in the clear in terms of tears. So I'm happy to hear that the injury isn't as serious as we thought it was when she fell.
0: So diving into this past weekend and Tuesday's World Cup action, we're going to work backwards actually from Courchevel into the weekend um it was an exciting race in Courchevel on Tuesday it was pretty warm really kind of oddly warm for December but uh a lot of surprises a lot of excitement um I know Mac it was a middle of the night for you so you didn't necessarily catch much of it but uh a lot going on on Tuesday in Saint er, in uh Courchevel, excuse me
1: yeah Sean, and I want to hear your thoughts because you were there. It's your first time in Courchevel. Um, what, what was your first impression of the venue?
0: Well, Courchevel, the town is pretty out there. It's very ritzy kind of Aspen on steroids. I I would say in the Alps, but, uh, the race venue itself, I thought was amazing. it's good terrain it's not terribly steep anywhere but it's not really flat anywhere either um it's a great hill to just kind of push your limits and, and see what you can do and i think we saw that out of a lot of racers on tuesday um team captain's meeting on monday night they were very um cautious about the conditions it'd been very warm in france um the week leading up to the race it was very windy when i rolled into town on monday night and uh they had thrown salt. They had watered the hill, um, and were very cautious about how things were going to shape up in the morning. But rolling up to inspection, I mean, things got hard. Track was in great shape. Uh, the sun was starting to peek out, so it was going to be a great day of racing. Um, and then like I said, that hill it looked fun. I, I I almost wished that uh, I had some GS skis on and could have could have run that course. But yeah, the day was. It started off with surprise, and it ended with some surprises as well. Um, but I think the, the, for American fans, the big surprise was Michaela Schifrin. She finished 17th, which was actually her worst finish in a technical event since spring of 2014, if you can believe that. She ran first, so I think there was something to be said with that. Just being the first person on a course, snow being not something you would normally see this time of year. Um, to my eye, it looked like something was off with her setup. She wasn't getting a lot of bend out of the ski, certainly compared to, uh, the girls who were fast on, on the first run in particular, but second run as well. I mean, in talking to her after the race, she put all the blame on herself. And I think that kind of speaks to the kind of athlete she is. She wasn't looking for an excuse. She kind of just said, I needed to do better. Um, she said her, her equipment was working great in training And it wasn't necessarily the approach she took. It was just the other girls skied better than her her today. I mean, like I said, to my eye, I I think it was more of an equipment issue than anything else. Um, I think she was super dialed in for that midwinter, hard, uh, compact snow. And we had that almost spring. It wasn't slushy, but it was very, very spring-like conditions. So I think that definitely played into... uh, Michaela's performance on Tuesday
1: yeah she's she excels on hard snow as we as we know so do you think so you think that conditions also weren't really in her favor
0: if I had to pick one thing I would say conditions combined with maybe the wrong wrong setup with her equipment but I mean I'm not Michaela Schifrin and according to her it was it was all on her it was it was not her skis it wasn't anything else. It was it was her and her alone. So I think we have to take her at her word on that. And I think um, if, if I think I wrote this in, in my uh, post race coverage, but if there's any athlete that can rebound from something like this and, and come back even stronger, it's Michaela. So don't count Michaela Schifrin out.
1: As we know, we can never count out Michaela Schifrin. in terms of more emotions. I guess um, you talked about. Wendy Holdner, who had her first GS podium. We had two podiums that were first timers today. What was, what was going on with, um, Mina skiing and Wendy skiing? Well, Mina
0: was, I think we've talked about them all season long with Norwegian women in, in this season has been so, so strong. I think they had nine starters in the first run and five of them made the second run, um, and, and, and Mina led the charge today. With, uh, she actually won the first run and finished second overall, which was, was really, really impressive. This hill, it really rewarded kind of skiers who are willing to push the limits. And we know Mina has a strong background in speed, has uh, won world junior titles in, in downhill and Super G. And I think that background really played to her advantage today. Um, just with the way that Hill is set up and, and the, the style of skiing that it suits. So I think it, w- it was really cool to see a new face on the World Cup podium with Mina. And then and then Wendy as well. I think she's definitely known more for her slalom skills and uh, challenging Michaela Schifrin in that arena. But to see her get on the podium today, especially on a Hill that may not really suit a skier of her style, that's more kind of on the super technical slalom side of things. And to see her get on the podium, I mean, she could almost not believe it. She was in tears uh, when when the race finished and when she realized that she was on her first GS podium. And I think – I know she was super disappointed with how the parallel in St. Moritz shook out for her. She was eliminated very early. So I think it was a definite step in the right direction for Wendy's season as well.
1: Yeah, she beat out Petra and Victoria Ravensburg by – a what, like four, four hundredths?
0: Yeah, it was, a, it was a tight one. And, and I think for her to realize that her GS is on par with uh, the rest of those women who are regularly on the podium and if not winning giant slaloms, only uh, bodes well for her for the rest of the season in GS.
1: Awesome. Well, tell me about Fetty's run.
0: Oh, Brignone, man. Uh, I think she may be the most exciting women's giant slalom skier at the moment. And I think today in uh was just kind of the perfect storm of her style the perfect hill that suits her style and the perfect sets that that suit her style and I think if you watch uh the race or any of the highlights you can tell that she is absolutely pushing it the entire way especially in that second run just never sacrificing that clean ski and and to that point, that style gets her in trouble every once in a while. And I think one of the only reasons why she hasn't been a more serious challenger for the GS globe in, in years past is because she is so unwilling to sacrifice a clean ski and get her in trouble on uh, some of these more technical Hills or, or more technical sets that she runs into throughout the year. But to see Fede break through, especially after a pretty, I wouldn't say heartbreaking second place finish because you can never be upset with a second place finish on the world cup. But she, she said she definitely felt the sting of uh, finishing second in the St. Merit super G by one hundredth. But, uh, yeah, it was great to see Fede on top of the podium and, uh, those Italians know how to party.
1: <laughs> Where are you going with that?
0: Well, they just all, they all sing the national anthem together and they do this little chant when they do a podium picture. Is the team? I don't speak Italian, so I don't know what they're saying. But uh, there's a lot of that going on for sure.
1: We love to see it.
0: Yeah. All right. So let's talk a little bit about the weekend. I know we just talked about some women, so let's talk about some men. Little of a exciting weekend in Val d'Isere for not just the ski racing. The weather was uh, almost the centerpiece of the weekend. What was going on in uh, Val d'Isere, Mac?
1: Gosh. Well, it was incredibly windy um, starting off the weekend and it was snowing. So you had a combination of high winds and snow and it caused the um, slalom to actually get canceled on Saturday and this and the organizing committee ended up making the call that they wanted to postpone the men's GS and reschedule it entirely to accommodate for the slalom. And so the slalom ended up running on Sunday instead. And the weather did a complete 180. It was a bluebird day, sunny, you know, great conditions. So I think that the guys were just really stoked to get a race off and, you know, have a, have a good day after, you know, the weather that Valdezera, I feel like it, we have talked about this before. It's one of the most consistently canceled races on the, on the tour because the weather is so unpredictable unpredictable so
0: yeah i thought it was it was actually really cool that uh kind of one of the things that factored into that decision by fiss over the weekend was a lot of athlete feedback and i think they actually posted a video of all the top seed men kind of getting together and talking and, and coming to the decision that if they did hold the race on saturday it just wouldn't have been fair for for the rest of the field i think uh, I think the athlete's representative that day was Norway's Sebastian foss Solbag, and I think he was on the radio telling the jury that, I mean, it looks like we can go for maybe five guys, and then the weather completely changes. And in our opinion, this is not a fair race. And and to Fiss's credit, they listened.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it looked pretty crazy from all of the, the photos that I saw on GEPA just – the banner guys trying to hold down the sponsorship banners on the side of the course and having everything blowing everywhere. I mean, they inspected and they checked it out and I'm glad that they can make that call and have fist respect that.
0: Awesome. So moving into Sunday's race, there were some fireworks. Oh
1: my goodness. Fireworks
0: from the French fireworks from the Norwegians and some long awaited fireworks from uh, a certain American slalom skier. So
1: fun to watch. Even at four in the morning, I was getting really into into the race, like yelling at my TV (laughs) and cheering. It was really cool. Um, We had a lot of big plays from guys coming from the back of the pack. And Luke Winters, I think, was the most talked about athlete of the day from our perspective, being, you know, American journalists. Finished second after the first run. And he's started eight World Cups and has never scored points. So for him to make a play at the podium um, in Valdesaire, which is, you know, a that course is super steep and is one of the more challenging pitches on the tour, that was really exciting to see. Um, he ended up losing steam a little bit in the second run. I mean, he's absolutely going for it and had to make some really, really big saves. I thought that he... Should have skied out a couple of times, but he pulled it off and he finished and he s- ended up scoring his first World Cup points of his career and creating another spot for the U.S. men to start joining him on the tour. So I think, in terms of the Solemn team and the Slamafest Destiny guys, they were pretty stoked. Everybody on the U.S. team was really stoked to see Luke's finish, and a lot of people were excited for for him.
0: Absolutely. I remember because I was in, in St. Moritz on Sunday for watching the women's parallel, and they didn't have any of the races on uh, or any of the men's race on uh, on uh, any of the TVs there. So we're all watching on, on our phones on live timing. And when Luke came down, kind of everyone's kind of looking around. No one knows what's going on. And then uh, Megan Harrod, the U.S. ski team press officer, is standing across from me, and she's like, my phone is blowing up because everybody is asking me who Luke Winters is, all the European networks, because they have no idea who he is. And uh, I thought that was pretty awesome. Of all the venues, the slalom venues on the men's tour, Val d'Isere just looks like such a grind. I mean, there's nothing easy about that hill. And to see Luke ski the way he did, one, in the first run to come down in second place, but two, to show the mental grit to make those mistakes, make those recoveries and keep it going and get to the finish is really something to be to be proud of. And I think I know second place to 19th is can be a tough pill to swallow, but I think he needs to look big picture and be really proud of what he was able to accomplish, not just for himself, but but for the US team like you said, creating that nations team spot to get a, another American on the start list which uh will only help the team for the rest of the season. And uh, a little birdie tells me there are quite a few who are just as fast as Luke who are, are are chomping at the bit to get their chance.
1: I'm excited to see how this slalom team grows. I mean, they've had, you know, some negative history over the past couple of years. And I think that all of those guys are just super eager to get out there and show what they've got and show the the states and all those guys over in Europe that, like, the U.S. can still hang in slalom. And, like, we've got guys that are ready to go and that they're, they're ready to keep making plays at the podium. And Luke's, you know, what is he, 21? <laughs> 22? Gosh, I don't know. But, like, he's a young guy, and he's putting it in there with the big dogs. And it's just awesome to see. And it's awesome for the team, and it's awesome for team morale. So it was a really exciting to even st- – see him finish the second run
0: absolutely so speaking of big dogs i would say the two i guess there's three three big dogs when you talk about world cup slalom right now you got clement noel alexi pentero the two frenchmen and then uh henrik Kristoffersen. unfortunately we saw clement exit early in the first run but uh man alexi pentero is making this season very interesting with his uh I guess I would say inconsistent results this year.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that that win for him was pretty emotional. You know, he's in his home country, but also in his post-race he's talking about how slalom, you know, wasn't really on the table for him for a while. He thought about giving up focus on that discipline for a bit because he just wasn't performing to his expectations and as well as he has in other disciplines. And then he, to come out and have a win in Valdezere. I mean, that was the second time he's won at the venue, but it had been five years since he'd had a win. So that's a big that's a big deal for him. And then you got, I'm sure, Noel was disappointed, you know, with his finish having it be in his home country. But in terms of other big players, we had Henrik Kristofferson. I know he ended up 100th shy of a podium finish, but... After a first run that had him seated in the in the twenties, I think he just kind of came out and had this huge push. Second run and apps made it super exciting. Um, made a really big push for the podium, missed it, but he won the. I think he won the second run by almost half a second, and it was pretty cool to you know see him take that that. Traditional Christofferson fire and put it towards some fast skiing.
0: Yeah, I absolutely agree about uh, Alexi Pantaro. I mean, I think he really started to come on strong again in World Cup slalom at the uh, midpoint of last season. And, uh, I mean, looking at his results this year, it's, it's very hot and very cold. I mean, he started out the year with that win in Solden, and then he didn't even qualify for a second run in Levy, and then he was fourth in the... In the Beaver Creek Super G, and then had a pretty terrible Beaver Creek GS, and then he comes to Valdez Air and he wins the slalom. He's in the driver's seat in the overall right now. He's leading those standings, which I we know is uh, his big goal for the season. But man, he's not making it easy for himself.
1: It looks like on the men's side, it's going to be just a hot and cold season. There's a lot of there's been a lot of big surprises in terms of podiums. There's been a lot of big surprises in terms of you know, the big dogs skiing out or, you know, falling to the back of the pack. What are your thoughts about what it's looking like for slalom going forward?
0: Yeah, I think, like you said, hot and cold is kind of, think, going to be the the theme of the men's season as it has been so far, at least on the tech side. But, yeah, I think with the way Christofferson was able to rebound from that, uh, I mean, he did have a a really big mistake in that first run, so I think we should – Put an asterisk on that, but uh, seeing him able to come back the way he did in that second run and throw on a performance that, uh, I think I said this in a past episode, but that type of skiing um, will be necessary to win Crystal Globes on the men's side in Slalom and GS. And I think Kristofferson showed that he's up to the task in Slalom this year. So definitely, definitely looking forward to uh, the Kristofferson pensaro battle that is unfolding in front of us.
1: On the other side of that, Sean, you were in St. Moritz, Switzerland covering the women's races while I was back in the States covering the men's. Talk to me about what was going on over there.
0: Yeah, so kind of similar to uh, Tuesday and Courchevel, team captains meetings before uh, St. Moritz were very bleak. They were quite sure that Saturday Super G was going to be at the very least significantly delayed because of weather but we woke up that morning it was a little foggy a little breezy during inspection but it only got better towards the race towards a start time and then it was an amazing day i mean that hill is is really cool a lot of character to it the snow was amazing super compact uh really grippy almost colorado like and uh i think we saw some performances out of the top women that reflected that i think um, the big story of the day, obviously, was Sophia Goja taking her first win of the year. I know she was looking for some answers after Lake Louise. I think she, by her own standards, un- underperformed in Lake Louise. And to see her bounce back in St. Moritz. And do it one-handed, by the way, which was one of the more impressive things I've seen in a while. Not just to to finish with one pole, but to have the the in-the-moment thinking. So she actually flew long after a jump that's like two-thirds of the way down the course and had a pretty rough landing, and that knocked her right pole out of her hand. And uh, if anyone listening has ever lost their pole mid-run, you know how much of a distraction it is to have this thing flapping around, and you're trying to grab it, and then your turns are just going to hell. And she actually decided to ditch the thing entirely so you I think they did the super slow-mo you see her try and do one little flick of the wrist to get it back in her hand it didn't work and then you just see her do like one two shakes of her arm and the pole just slips off and she goes along with her run and she slid in front of Federico Brignone by one hundredth of a second and I think her finish celebration was one of the coolest ones I've seen in a while too she held up one finger and put her other hand behind her back and just looked at the crowd and did like this Zorro move. Um, it got me pretty fired up. Yeah. It was awesome.
1: (laughs) That's amazing. That's so classic. I, I feel like she's um, one of the spunkier athletes on the women's tour. She's got some great reactions and the fact that she just could like hang in there and do that with one pole. Like that's pretty sweet, you know, like, it's, it's exciting to watch. I love seeing athletes, you know, throw their personality in there.
0: Absolutely. She definitely adds the color to uh, the women's circuit. And then uh, kind of talking a little bit more about the Italians, Federica Bignone, I mean, we talked about her already in Courchevel, but her skiing in St. Moritz was of that same caliber. I mean, she's never won a World Cup Super G, been on a podium a few times, and After her run, I thought she had it in the bag. She came down with a sizable lead when uh, she crossed the finish line. And the way things had been shaking out, there had been speed skiers coming down, more tech-oriented skiers coming down. And she blew everyone else out of the water. So I was actually – I wouldn't say surprised that Goja came down in the lead. But after I saw Brunione ski on Saturday, it was definitely – Uh, a different Federica Brunione than I've seen in the past in Super G. So that was really cool. And then Michaela Schifrin as well. She finished third, um, was in that same ballpark, I think was only 1,300s behind, and uh, skied well. I think talking to her both pre-race and post-race, she uh, talked about how the skier that was going to come out on top that day was going to be the skier who risked the most and skied the cleanest line. And uh, she definitely pushed her limits, Michaela, on on Saturday. Um, got a little bit grindy in a few sections. I think that maybe cost her the win. But talking to her after the race, I mean, she, she was really satisfied with the her approach to the race and how she executed. I mean, she identified those few turns that maybe cost her a, a second place or that win, but... I mean, Super G, I think a lot of people forget, like, Speed's still pretty dang new to her. So she's still feeling it out. She's definitely not uh, the dominant skier that we normally see in an event like Slalom. When you're talking about Super G or Downhill, um, she's still learning as she goes. But, uh, yeah, some great skiing out of the podium on Saturday for sure.
1: Yeah, as we said before, like, Schifrin's... Super G globe last year was just the icing on the cake to a great season. And I don't think that she set out with any intentions of preseason set out with any intentions of that coming to fruition. So that transition she's talked about, that's something that she's working on and that's something that she struggled with the past and she's like coming into her own on speed definitely. And she knows she can make a play for the win in those races. So yeah, like we're like you said, this is still pretty new to her, and the fact that she, you know, is only thirteen hundreds back <laughs> off of a uh, off of the win, you know, she's still showing really, really strong results. So Schifrin laid down a strong result in the super G, but afterwards she posted that she chose to opt out of the parallel because she is focusing on. Showing up strong in Valdezere, which then opened up that field to not a new podium, but eliminating Schifrin from a parallel is, you know, make some room for some new faces to step in. I would say. What do you think, Sean?
0: Yeah, you're you're absolutely right in that, and I think looking big picture, it was a very smart move on Schifrin's part. I mean, she's she's thinking longevity for the rest of the season and. I mean, she doesn't. She's in a, a a place of privilege with her skiing right now, where she does not have to ski a parallel if she doesn't want to, and uh, she didn't have to. She didn't want to, so she didn't. And I think that was uh, an all in all a good decision by the Schifrin camp. But yeah, like you said, it did kind of open up things on Sunday, and we saw Petra Velova take full advantage of that, powering her way to that win. And a little backstory on that. She took quite a bit of time off after Killington. She had a, a bit of a leg injury, a tibia injury. I guess you can call it almost like a bone bruise um, that she had been nursing since before Solden. And, and things had only gotten worse to the point where she actually initially thought she wasn't going to be racing for the rest of 2019. And was iffy about her return this season at all, given how much pain she was in. We got... Was you able to be put in touch with her, her coach who kind of laid out what uh, the timeline was? And, and she spent some time at a clinic in Milan where a lot of uh, Italy's top soccer players go to get treated for their injuries. And she had some treatment there, some altering to her boots, and she felt good enough to race. And it uh, paid off with a win.
1: Yeah, I mean, for her to power through... Um, an injury that's more painful I feel like than anything else and be able to ski that many that many rounds and get the win is is pretty amazing
0: yeah absolutely I think those long days I think if you tally it all up qualification plus all the knockout rounds you're skiing eight ten runs during a day that's like a, a day of training that lasts two to three times longer than a normal day of training. So there's a, a, the mental side of, of staying in it for that long. And then uh, having the physical capacity to, to compete is another level. So that was really cool to see Volova come out on top and her fans are some of the best on the world cup. They are so loud, so loyal and they were out in force on Sunday. It was really cool. Awesome. So looking ahead to this weekend, uh, we already mentioned we're going to be talking with Doug Lewis, all things Val Gardena, but uh, men are actually going to Alta Badia immediately afterwards. One of the most iconic giant slum stops on the tour. Kind of, what are we looking for from Alta Badia?
1: Alta Badia, gosh, well, yeah, that's that's a pretty crazy track, as you said, um, in terms of pitch and terrain. But I'm, I'm not like we've been talking about this for a while now. Like, I feel uncomfortable making podium picks because we have been seeing so many different faces on the podium this season. And a lot of guys, especially in the giant slalom have been putting their stuff out there and showing that they can make a play to be in the top three. So I'm excited to see how Tommy Ford does because he had a, at the time, a career best finish there last year, and now he's won a World Cup. So it'll be exciting to see him ski that track. And I know that I'm not sure who's setting the course this weekend, but a turnier set could cater to some of the other American men, such as Ted Lady. I'm excited to see how Pontro carries his momentum coming off of Valdezare. And if he gets cold or he can keep the heat going and see another podium in the Giant Slalom in Alta Badia. And gosh, well, without Marcel Hirscher there, who has won consistently, I think, multiple years in a row at that venue, it's going to open up the top step of the podium for some new guys to step up. And I'm not quite sure if I can make a call as to who I think is going to come out on top at that race.
0: Yeah, I agree with you. I think I think men and women, GS is the most up in the air right now. I think especially given how things unfolded in Beaver Creek, there's a lot of uncertainty as far as uh, the outlook for Alta But uh, I think Tommy Ford is going to wear that red bib. I think there's something to be said about the just the confidence of, of being that leader in those standings, but there's going to be guys gunning for him. I mean, Christopherson made it very clear that the season starts now. So, uh, I'm on board with you, Mac.
1: What are you looking for coming into Valdezir? Um, we didn't have a women's race there last year due to weather. And I heard the weather is going to be pretty much a toss up again in France this weekend.
0: Yeah. Well, I don't want to be the Grinch or anything. That's going to steal the, the pre-Christmas race vibes, but, uh, the weather's not looking too sweet for uh, any races getting off in Val this year either. I mean, we are still pretty early in the week, and the racing doesn't start until the weekend. But just looking at the the 10-day forecast, I think the race days there's anywhere between a 70 to 100 percent chance of precipitation on uh, on the race days in Val d'Isere. And uh, as we know all too well, um, the events that are most susceptible to the weather are the speed events and uh, unfortunately that's what we got going on at Valdez So so uh, as of right now we're watching the weather we're hoping we may be getting some races off but uh, as it stands right now we'll see
1: <laughs> woof
0: woof is right alright that wraps our discussion for this past weekend's races coming up after a quick break will be my talk with Doug Lewis. The single best way to support what we do at Ski Racing Media is through a subscription to Ski Racing Premium. From podcasts and World Cup race coverage to our wildly popular American Downhiller web series, Ski Racing Premium is the engine behind everything we do at Ski Racing Media. It literally keeps the lights on for us. Subscriptions cost $35 per year for unlimited premium content on SkiRacing.com, which includes full-length World Cup race features and many of the pieces you will hear us talking about on this show. If you are interested in supporting what we do, head on over to SkiRacing.com and click the subscribe button. Alright, now we'll get you back to the show. All right. Welcome back to Tips and Tales. And back again with me is the one, the only Doug Lewis. Doug, thank you so much for coming back on the show.
2: Uh, Thanks for having me. And anytime I can talk about Val Gardena, I am in.
0: Awesome. Speaking of Val Gardena, Val Gardena is this weekend one of the most spectacular stops on all of the World Cup and a stop that actually has a lot of history for the American team. And I understand that you, Doug, are actually a part of that history as well. Tell us a little bit about that.
2: Well, when I first made the team in 80, 81, um, there was only a few guys jumping the camel bumps and the camel bumps were a little different. They were, um, a little spread out, a little steeper, a little gnarlier at that point. And, uh, If you didn't jump the camels, you had to go around them, traveling 50 to 150 extra feet of distance, but safer. You didn't end up in the hospital. Uh, But I think around 1984 um, or 85, I was the first ever American to attempt and clear and was successful at uh, jumping the camels. And it was not pretty. Um, I left way left and ended way right, and uh probably landed pretty hard leaving a couple divots in the ground but uh, i made it and from then on a lot of the americans started trying it uh but it was it was a huge step for mankind at the u.s because uh it was crazy and still is crazy
0: amazing so who was actually the first guy on the world cup tour to attempt to double those camel jumps
2: I believe it was Uli Spies, and um, when I got on, what a character. A lot of the guys smoked when I got on the um, tour, but Uli had this um, way of leaving the gate at Valgradena that everybody watched, especially pleons, plebs like me in the end. Um, he would take a shot of schnapps in the starting gate, put the glass down, put his poles on and take off. And then um, basically halfway down the course, he was the only guy that would jump off the second camel, travel, I don't know, 300 feet in the air, 100 yards and be way up. We're talking, you know, 30 to 40 feet in the air and he would land it. And uh, it was smooth. I don't think it had anything to do with with the schnapps, but uh, it definitely helped him get his courage up to make that jump.
0: That is uh, something else. Sounds like a, a different world back in the 80s when you were racing. I don't think you'll see any smoking or schnapps taking at the start of a World Cup these days.
2: Uh No, uh, but you still have, you know, even though they have bulldozed the camels a little easier, um, they set the course a little bit better so you can make it. It is still a dangerous, a very dangerous spot. And uh, if you lose your concentration or think it's too easy, it will bite you and you will end up in the hospital. And there have been a lot of racers in that hospital down the road from Valgradena.
0: Absolutely, and including last year with Mark Gazine taking a horrifying crash on those camel jumps.
2: Horrifying, and and, and it seems easy, but it really isn't. Uh, every time that the uh, racer leaves that gate and is planning on jumping those camels, it, it is a big deal. It's not easy by far.
0: Awesome. So looking ahead to this year's races, the weather not looking the best. I'm seeing maybe some rain in the forecast, but all th- all of that aside, what what should we really be looking for this weekend? Out of uh, who, who, and what uh, will make a, a successful Val Gardena weekend?
2: Yeah, well, to start out with the the favorites, you have to look to the Norwegians in both the Slalom and GS. In the last eight races for uh, four years, they've been on the podium six uh, out of the last eight races. Um, they are dominant here, and you just have to talk a little bit about you know what you need to to be how you need to ski to be to be fast on this course, whether it's super G or downhill, uh, you have to be fluid and smooth. You are constantly being bucked around. You're constantly air in the air, so you have to be fluid. You have to be smooth. It's not a course to be harsh, to be aggressive, and to attack. You almost have to just melt down the course. Um, you have to be balanced because you're constantly recovering. I think you're in the air twenty times during this course. You also have to think about aerodynamics at the top, there is a long flat, you know, up to 30 seconds. And again, at the bottom, you're going 75, 80 miles an hour. So you have to have that aerodynamic position. You have to have fast skis. Uh, you need to be in there at the top. You cannot be out more than three-tenths of a second or just pull over and have coffee. So it is a special skier, and the Norwegians have have found the way to do that. So you have to talk about Jansrud and Kilde. Uh, both have that combination of a sweet carve they're strong they're smooth and, and they just have really owned this mountain in the last four years
0: awesome and I think with with Kilda's performance last year he really that was the most dominant performance in downhill I think I may have seen in a long long time I think he won by almost a full second and and on a hill like you say as as nuanced as Valgardena is, it's it's incredibly impressive to have someone Wang uh, as young as he is do something like that and to do it at, at a venue like Val Gardena.
2: Yeah, and he has a little history there. He got hurt there, um, I don't know, four or five years ago. I remember calling that race, so uh, that's another thing he has to get over, a place where you've crashed before, definitely um, you have to get up for. But he has the entire package, and again, skis on the top, fluid in the middle, and then keep those skis on the ground through the Cheslot, which is that meadows section, which is just the most fun uh Probably 20 seconds of World Cup, but also the hardest to really plan and be fast for. Now, I think after the Norwegians, you have to talk about how the Austrians have not had a great team result, but Franz has been incredible here especially in the downhills. He's been on the podium the last four years. He's been fast. So this little guy knows how to snake through the bumps and the undulations and the terrain. I was fast at Val Gardena when I raced it, but not like this guy. He's not the biggest guy, but he just has figured out the pieces of this puzzle. You go farther down in the Austrian lineup, yeah, Meyer, but Meyers had only a seventh. There's not a lot of Austrians that have been great here, which is really interesting to me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think especially with a, a racer like Meyer, he's got some demons in Val Gardena too. We had the, the terrible back injury a couple of years ago that took him out for an entire season mm-hmm. there. So I agree. It'll be really interesting to see one, if Franz can continue that momentum. And two, if a, if uh, Meyer can conquer those demons or Kriegmeyer can step up because he's I think Kriegmeyer certainly has the skills to excel at a, at a venue like Val Gardena.
2: I totally agree with you. Kriegmeier is very similar to a Nyman, to a Bennett. He's tall. He's probably a better overall skier than both Nyman and Bennett, so he should be match up really well here. But he doesn't. Really, really interesting. Um, you know, you throw in. You have to talk about the uh, Paris, the Italian. Paris is also terrible here, which is really weird. And I blame it on the fact that he doesn't have a lot of movement in his skiing. He is all grit, all attack. That's why he can win Kitzbühel. But in Val Gardena, you have have to be uh, liquid mercury. You just have to be smoother than he is. It'll be interesting if he can turn it around here at Val Gardena with him.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think especially looking at, uh, I know he w- was very disappointed in how Beaver Creek shook out for him, and uh, he will be looking to rebound, but of all the the venues on the World Cup, Val Gardena is probably his uh, historically his least favorite venue when you look at his results. So it'll be really interesting to see how paris either rebounds or does not rebound it this weekend at Val Gardena.
2: yeah and the other italian to think about is the ever-present Interhofer. i don't know how he still does it he has no back he has no vertebrae he's always complaining but he always finds a way to be fast and he could be fast at at a kind of a quote-unquote home hill
0: yeah and and if all things go his way he'll be making his return to the world cup after uh tearing an ACL at last spring's Italian championships I know he spent quite a bit of time in Copper Mountain Colorado preparing for the speed season wasn't feeling up to Lake Louise or Beaver Creek so he circled Val Gardena on his calendar as his comeback race so very excited to see good old Christoph back in the starting gate
2: yeah and anything's possible even with a bum knee because he has bum everything
0: all right so well let's move on to the americans probably of all the the venues men or women tech or speed i think as a team when you look at team strength at a venue val gardena really kind of pokes itself out we've had a lot of winners a lot of top 10 finishes a lot of top five finishes what is it about val gardena that makes it such a good venue for the american men
2: I think it has to boil down to fun. This is a fun course. And if you look at uh, Bennett and Ganong from Squaw Valley, they just love to free ski and and love to absorb terrain and have a lot of fun. Nyman's a fun guy. Um, It has to do with how just enjoyable this course is, even though it can bite you for sure. And for Nyman and Bennett, they're tall. They can reach down with their legs and keep their skis on the ground. They can move with this fluid... um, terrain that they have and so those guys have figured it out and then you have Genong who's also fast but he's also the opposite skier he is he is calm he is stacked he is stable uh but he's also been fast so it's really really interesting to me how as a team they love it but for a couple different reasons with those three
0: mm-hmm. um if you had to pick of all those americans who's going to be the top one
2: Right now, I think Nyman. I think Nyman has the fastest skis, um, and his guy has figured out the top flat, so his fishers will be rocking uh, with three wins and podium. He just knows this course. He's really, really confident. And the only reason I pick him over Bennett, uh, even though Bennett could do it, um, Bryce is maybe questioning his skiing right now. He probably doesn't have the confidence coming in, but having the results here should give him confidence. But I think he's, he's just questioning himself a little bit too much is is my thoughts on that.
0: I said I totally agree with you with Bryce I think this season in particular it's the first time he's really kind of been the favorite as far as the Americans are concerned in downhill and I think he's taken a little bit of time to adjust to that but uh I mean looking back at his 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 past seasons he wasn't I wouldn't say very confident in his skiing before heading into Val Gardena over the last couple of years. And, and he's pulled out some amazing results there. So I think if there is a venue where he can break through and have that bounce back race, it's this weekend.
2: Totally agree with you. And I expect him in the top 10. And if he puts it all together, he could find that podium. I, I don't think we should forget about RCS, RCS coming off that awesome Beaver Creek result. He's never raced the downhill. I think he's always, he's, He's good enough for a top 10 here. He's big enough. He's strong enough. He can absorb everything. Um, So it'll be interesting where where he comes out because this is a course that you have to have history with. First out of the gate is really surprising how much terrain there is.
0: Yeah. I think with Ryan, he really showed how he's evolved as a downhiller. Um, it, it been Beaver Creek in particular. I mean, you were there. It was flat light. It was gnarly. Um, and he handled it incredibly well. I'm thinking right out of the gate, he gave us a big scare right out of Talon turn. And then talking to him after the race, he's like, I felt totally in control at that, that moment. And I feel like Val Gardena kind of mirrors that section of Beaver Creek where you're, you're in the air, you're flying, you're skipping over everything. And to have the mindset of being totally in control of being totally out of control really plays into, uh, Ryan's hands this weekend.
2: I'll agree with you there. And and all it's gonna take is for him to figure out this course. Really take the time to inspect where do you double jump? Have the three different plans you need, especially in the Ches lot. If I'm going faster than I think, I have to ski it this way. If I'm going slower, I can cut it off. If I'm getting bounced around, this is what I have to do. If any course requires visualization and a plan for terrain this is the one and let's not forget goldberg somehow uh this guy has turned it around a great result in beaver creek he's been ninth here at val gardena uh this guy is super strong and hopefully his confidence will will build and we could have what five in the top 10
0: yeah we can only hope all right so before we wrap up if you had to pick your top three for the downhill and the super g who are we looking for doug
2: my top three in the downhill, Kilde, super strong, and he has the um, history here. Foytz, I like his strong skiing uh, when it gets tough, but I also like how fluid he is. And I'm going to put Nyman on third, but with four other Americans in the top ten, that's my downhill. In my Super G, I'm going to have Kilde repeating, uh, and then I'm going to have Meyer find his spot, and I'm going to go with the Swiss guy, Cavietzel in third.
0: All right, Doug. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure to talk to you before the World Cup Speed Races. And uh, looking forward to talking to to you before Bormio. All
2: right. Thanks, Sean. Have a great one.
0: All righty. Bye-bye.